If you have your Bibles, we are in Galatians chapter 5. We're going to continue our series. This is part 6 of 8 parts. If you miss any one of them, you can find it on our YouTube channel. You can find it on our, I don't know, Facebook. We have so many of those things. Your mama's channel, I guess, somewhere. But this is part 6. And I want to start with a quick recap just so we can get into the mode of where we are. But the reason why we are in Galatians, my friends, is because the Apostle Paul planted his churches in this region called Galatia. And after a while, there was another group that came in, another religious group called Judaizers, who came and started to kind of misinterpret the gospel. And they began to preach a gospel based on works, a gospel based on religion, a gospel based on law. And Paul is frustrated because he's like, man, you... You receive the real gospel, the gospel at least of freedom, and you, you find yourself retracting back to bondage. And as you know, my friends, it's one thing to be free, it's another thing to stay free. And that's what, uh, we, I don't know if you caught today, the theme of this service is freedom. And so we're going to talk about what it means to stay free because Paul starts the first two chapters, he talks about how grace is a personal experience. Jesus revealed himself to Paul. And Paul said, I didn't get this from religion. Jesus himself gave me this grace to bring to you. And you receive this grace freely. And you're supposed to keep growing in this grace. If you don't grow in the grace, you're regressing into something less than what God had for you. So, my friends, the mistake that we all make in these Believers made, this was not unbelievers, these were people in church. The mistake that we make with the grace of God, we think the grace of God is the ABC of Christianity. Paul was like, no, the grace is the A to Z of Christianity. you got to remain in grace, you got to grow in grace, you got to continue to push in grace. In chapter 3 and 4, Paul makes the point that, hey, you can have an experience with grace, but you have to understand that that experience needs to be rooted in scriptures. And so Paul takes two chapters to show you that all along God always wanted us to live in his grace. That the law was only meant to be a tutor. In other words, the law was only meant to be a guardian, to just, to just hand us over to grace. So if we go back to law, then we're going back into slavery. And that's not freedom. And then my favorite part of Galatians is what we're going to get into today. Chapters 5 and 6, Paul says, listen, you experience grace Grace is in, is in scriptures, but here's how you practically live a graceful life. It's my favorite part. I'm a practical teacher. If you've been here, you know that. Like, if it doesn't apply tomorrow, I don't want to preach it. I believe the, 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 the will of God is applicable every single day of life. Can you say amen? And so that's what we're going to spend. I'm going to spend two weeks on chapter five. Is that good? And then we're going to conclude with chapter six. So in chapter five, Paul begins by saying this. And it's so good. I hope you follow up. I hope you take notes because you got to digest this stuff. He says, it is for, what's that word? I mean, come on now. I might as well turn around and preach to myself. If, we, if we're going to do this, we do this together. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand what? Stand firm then. And do not let yourselves be burdened again by a what? Yoke. Underline that word yoke. We're coming into that word. That word is, there's a lot there. Yoke of slavery. Verse 2. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Wow. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated 
to obey the whole law. Verse 4, you are trying to be justified by the law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been what? What's that word? Alienated from Christ. That's heavy. You have fallen away from grace. Wow. For through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. We got to say that again. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. I need us to say this together because this is the heart of this whole book. Say it with me. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Can you thank God for his word this morning? I want to call this talk a dangerous doctrine. And the reason why we're calling this talk a dangerous doctrine is because people like the Judaizers or any type of legalistic perspective on Christianity, they get worried that if grace is truly preached, it may sound like it's a license to sin. In other words, well, if it's just about the grace of God, does that mean you can do whatever you want to do? Are we giving people freedom to just while out and do whatever they want to do? And Paul here is saying, that is not the purpose of grace. Matter of fact, when you truly understand grace, that's the farthest thing from your mind. <laughs> but I'm getting ahead of myself. He says it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. My friends, freedom is a delicate thing. I don't know if you're paying attention, but just three weeks ago, these people in Ukraine were free. One of the things that broke my heart, I heard one woman in one of those bomb shelters say, two days ago, I was walking my child to school. Two days later, I'm hunkered down in a bunker fighting for our freedom. So freedom is a very sensitive thing. This is what Paul is saying. Yes, Christ has set you free, but the struggle is, can you remain free? We all know that struggle of being delivered from something, but then staying free from that. So here, Paul says, listen, my friends, Christ died to set you free from bondages, free from the law, free from the works that you cannot attain on yourself. He died for that. He rose again for that. He sent his spirit so you to have freedom. Therefore, it's important that now you fight to stay free. And that's what these people are showing us. Like, horrific illustration of life and death right now happening in front of us. A fight for freedom. A fight because they believe they're supposed to be their own people. And I think every human being on the face of the planet can resonate with that. That there's nothing more precious than freedom. 
The same concept applies to spiritual freedom. This is what Paul is saying. And if you're taking notes, he uses actually a military word here to tell you that you need to fight for it. This is what I'm saying. If you just come to church without being ready to fight, you might be missing the point why you're here. You, 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 you might, listen, I believe this with all my heart. Two people can walk into the same building. One person can live free. The other person can live in bondage. So look at the word he uses here. It's a military word. He uses the word stand firm. Stand firm. Fight to stay free. You must stand firm. Jesus came to set you free. Now you must fight to remain free. There's a parallel political understanding of freedom that Paul is using here. What the Ukrainians are doing right now. They're fighting for their freedom. It's also true from a spiritual standpoint. You have an enemy who wants to bring you back into bondage. You have an enemy who is not pleased with your freedom. And he will do whatever it takes to put you right back in the cage of slavery. Stand firm. If you're taking notes, it means many things here. Stand firm means to keep alert. It means to be strong. It means to resist attacks. And it means to stick together. One of the a powerful lessons that Ukrainian people are teaching us right now is the power of unity. These people are united on this fight for freedom. I don't know about you, that concerns me. If, God forbid, we go to war, how united are we? Because united we stand, but divided we, we fall. And it worries me for our nation that we are so divided right now. If we were to be attacked, what the heck are we going to do? And it worries me about the church. If the church is divided, how in the world are we going to fight an enemy that is coming to rage war against the church? We need to stand together, stand firm together, and not allow the enemy to rob us of our unity. Because unity is what commends a blessing. I don't know if you've been paying attention, but they said, you know, Russia underestimated these people. They thought they would just go in and take over, but it's been almost three weeks and these people are still fighting. Why? Because there's power in unity. There's power in faith. There's power in community. If you're going to stand firm, you, gotta, you have to stand firm in the fold, not isolate yourself. Because the enemy would love to isolate you to pick you off. Some people this morning heard his voice and stayed away from community when, when they don't understand the enemy is trying to isolate you so he can pick you off. Stand firm. Stick together. You, you come to crew for a couple of weeks and then, and then you start to get discouraged and you start to get down and he starts telling you, yeah, that's not for you. The devil is a freaking liar. You need to stand firm. Stay connected. Stay rooted. Stay grounded. Paul has many Different interpretations of this as he speaks to the churches in different places. Look, in Corinthians, he tells them the same exact thing. Go ahead. He says, look, be on your, be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. Do everything in love. My friends, when you're being attacked, it's not time to retreat. It's the time to put down roots and say, come hell or high water, I'm standing my ground. It's time to fight. If you're not fighting, you're regressing. 
in the yoke of slavery. The law-keeping religious routine leads to slavery. It leads to disappointment. It leads to feeling less than what God created you to be in the first place. You have to understand the powerful understanding of the word yoke. It's what they would do, and they still do this in, in farming, is to put two animals together to work a field. And, and the concept is this. Go ahead and throw up that picture just to give you an illustration. Is that these two animals are being yoked together by this yoke, this wooden piece here. And the purpose is that one animal is more experienced than the other one. And they will work together to work the field. And if they don't work together to work the field, the, instead of working the field to produce fruit, the field can become barren. Do you understand the power of application in the spirit? That if we're not working the right yoke of grace and freedom, we might be hurting the same field that we're trying to produce. This is why I have to do two weeks on chapter 5. Because you have, to, you have to understand, if you go home and read the rest of chapter 5, Paul says, look, listen, you don't know you're free until you, you see what you're producing. In other words, you can say you're free all day long, but only your fruits actually determine if you're free. So he says, listen, if you can continue in the yoke of slavery, listen, chapter 5 shows you, look, these are all the things that you're producing. And if you're producing these things, it's clearly that you're not free. You can say you're free all day long, but your fruits are saying you're a slave. Then he talks about the fruits of the Spirit. If you're yoked to grace, you produce these kinds of fruit. So my friends, it's not a matter of be if you're yoked or not. The question is, who are you yoked to? Like, everybody's yoked to something right now. And Paul was saying, listen, you, if you're not yoked to Jesus, you're going to be yoked to religion. And the yoke to religion, man, leads to anxiety, it leads to guilt, it leads to burden, it leads to fear. It leads to never being good enough. So he says, man, you have a better option. You have a better yoke. The grace is what's supposed to yoke you so that you can actually produce the right fruits that you can actually enjoy and be happy with and be excited about life. And so Paul is saying, listen, there's two yokes. Which one do you want? Jesus' yoke is a yoke of freedom. Jesus himself tells us this in Matthew 11. Watch this. Jesus says, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, I will give you rest. Take my, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart you will find rest for your souls you know why there's so much anxiety in our world right now we're all yoked to the wrong where does anxiety come from exactly religion will always produce anxiety for my yoke is what easy and my burden is Jesus is like man I came to yoke you to grace and I didn't yoke you to do's and don'ts I yoke you to myself so follow me let me put the yoke on you the question is not if you're yoked or not is who you're yoked to Paul was like why would you go back to the yoke of slavery when you have the yoke of grace on you. 
I love to read the Bible in different translations so we can get better perspective. Man, I want to read the same scripture to you, but from, from the message translation, which is a paraphrase of the Bible, because it opens up even more understanding of what we're talking about. Watch this. Watch how the message puts it. Are you tired? Worn out? Burnt out on religion? I don't know about you. It reads like one of those infomercials. <laughs> like, I read this at one in the morning. I'm like, you ever watch an infomercial? You're like, I think I have that disease. Like, I, I... Right? Are you tired? Worn out? Burnt out on religion? <sighs> Come to me. Get away with me. And you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me. Walk with me. Work. You work the ground of your life with me. Watch how I do it. I don't tell you what to do. I show you what to do. And watch this. Thank you, Jesus, indeed. Watch this. I love this. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Can we just camp there for a second? All my friends that preach unforced. In other words, you don't have to do anything. You're not doing enough. How come you're not reading your Bible? How come you're not praying? How come, how come? I don't know who I'm imitating. That's just terrible. No one talks like that. You know. Christians, we're better uh, guilt-tripping you in a nice way. You know, I haven't seen you in church in a while. How you doing? <laughs> we're, we're more graceful about our guilt trips. <laughs> but I love the unforced rhythms. In other words, grace has a rhythm. Like, there's nothing more beautiful than seeing two people gracefully dancing. There's a rhythm to it. And then there's nothing more disastrous than seeing two people with no rhythm. <laughs> two white people dancing. <laughs> no, 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 listen. Don't get mad. I can't dance neither. I'm K. Verdon, but that part of the gene didn't translate. Didn't. Like we, had a, we had a banquet, everybody was dancing. I'm just sitting there like, God, it's nice, look at them. I can't do that. <laughs> when it comes to dancing, I'm still Nazarene, if you know what I mean. But there's a rhythm of life. In other words, it's a, there's a graceful. My friends, once in a while, check the rhythm of your life. If you're grinding, maybe you're not in grace. If you're always tight, you need to grease up the wheels of your grace. Do you ever check yourself and go, man, I'm tight? Okay, I'll preach to myself. Y'all ain't going <laughs> to tell the truth in this church. But we know when we're just grinding. Right? Fake it until you make it. <laughs> Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. No, no, no. You look tight, bro. You need to grease up your grace. Watch this. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me. And you'll learn to live freely and lightly. I don't know about you, but that's what I want. That's what I want. Like, 
Sign me up, Jesus. <laughs> Please take the wheel, the car, whatever you got to do. Because if he's in the, if Jesus is in the car, what, why the heck are you driving? <laughs> Y'all didn't, all right, you just, Jesus, take the wheel. It's like, why would you want to drive when Jesus is, okay. All right, anyway, I'm just saying. My friends, it's easy to see when we're not in grace. There's a lack of freedom. There's a lack of, here's what I've been feeling convicted about this. There's a lack of joy in the body of Christ. The Bible says the joy of the Lord is supposed to be our strength. And we come to the house of God, we're doing songs about freedom, and a lot of us are like... Why? Because we started in grace, and somewhere we got yoked into slavery. Someone lied to us. Someone lied that if I'm in grace, I'm too free. No, no, no. If I'm in grace, am I responsible enough to handle my freedom? What is freedom, my friends? This is where I want to get to. Freedom. What is this freedom in a practical sense? What does it look like? How do I keep it? You ready for this? To answer that question, I want to bring you back to fourth century. To one of the greatest theologians who's ever lived. A man who was considered to be the church father who shaped Christianity for a a millennium. In other words, for a thousand years, they said his theology shaped the church. I'm talking about St. Augustine. St. Augustine, who knew the struggle of slavery, he battled to be free for so long that he felt depressed. He felt like he would never be able to truly achieve the freedom in Christ until grace invaded him because he was trying on his own. And he said something really powerful about the freedom of God that I pray resonates with you today. He said, if you're truly free, he says, you will love God and do whatever you want. Now let that sink in for a second. Love God and do whatever you want. If I'm correct, we're so in bondage that we didn't hear the first part. All you heard was do whatever you want. And that triggers you. Because you're like, what do you mean do whatever you want? What happened to the Ten Commandments? What happened to all the principles? What happened to making sure that you're not doing anything bad? I don't think you heard me. He said, love God and do whatever you want. And to give you more context, I went and looked at the sermon that he preached in 4th century. And he was preaching about love and freedom and grace. And here is actually the full sentence of why he said this. He said it this way. Go ahead. He said, love God and do whatever you please. For the soul trained in love to God will do nothing to offend the one who is beloved. Leave that up there. Man, we need to understand this. Not... Understanding with your 
head and to stand it with your soul. Love God, do whatever you please. If you truly love God, you will not do anything that doesn't please him. Master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. If I love God with all my heart, soul, and strength, and I love my neighbor as I love myself, then I don't hurt God and I don't hurt my neighbor. If I truly, genuinely love God, not, not, not the, the religious love God. You know, a lot of people, I love God. He's like, yeah, your life doesn't love God. Everybody's Facebook page, God first. It's like, where'd he go? <laughs> I'm talking about real, genuine God. Grace has invaded your soul that to the point that all you want to do is please him. And when you want to please him, you're too busy pleasing him to be pleasing your flesh. <laughs> now we'll preach. See, my friends, you have to understand this is what true freedom actually is. It's the freedom to truly be so in tune with your creator that you don't have time to be wasting on less than things that will please him. When I hear people say things like, Man, I'm trying really hard. It's like, stop trying. When I hear people say, you know, this thing is hard. It's like, yeah, you just made it harder. When I hear people say, man, I've been struggling to read my Bible. It's going to keep going. Because you're not coming from a place of already being loved and accepted where you're doing things, not because you're earning anything, but because it is yours already. When you hear people say, I'm trying really hard not to sin, too late. Because the purpose of this journey is not for you to try not to sin. You're so focused on God that sin is not on your radar. See why we don't clap? All you heard was do whatever you please. If you truly love God, it reflects in how you live. It reflects in how you treat others. Because he said, love your neighbor as you love yourself. It's hard to love others when you don't love yourself well. <laughs> oh, we will. Because <laughs> hurt people will always hurt people. And there's nothing worse than a religious, resentful person. Because they'll hit you with the Bible. <laughs> you ever been hit by a religious, resentful person? They'll find the hurtful scriptures. Because you can make the Bible say whatever you want. Oh, that was a mature word. I don't think you understood. Let, let, let's spell this out. Let's, let's flesh it out. True freedom. Go ahead. True freedom, my friends. This is what Paul is trying to get to. It's what the scripture is trying to get to. Go ahead. Next one. Go ahead. That was your cue. True freedom. Freedom to be and freedom to become. True freedom is freedom to do and produce. When you're yoked, your field is going to produce. You won't stay barren. You will produce if you're yoked to Jesus. And you know what you'll produce? Come back next week. Stay tuned.
But I love this. I feel like, you know, I, I'm not, God told me, guy, you know that. But I felt like the Spirit gave me this one. You have permission to be and do amazing things with your freedom. Let that be your focus. Like, the focus of the majority of people that I meet that are religious, they're not thinking about the things, the possibilities. They're thinking about the things they can't do. It's like, that's not freedom. When your freedom is taken away, you miss the things you're able to do. Right now in Ukraine, they would love to have that freedom to just walk down the street. And here we are free, locked up in our basement. I don't think you understood what I just said. You have permission. That's the grace comes and says, hey, you're free. Go do some amazing things. Can we be known for the things that we do, not the things that we're against? That's true freedom. True freedom should be that people see us and go, man, these people do amazing things. A few years ago, there was a, a report that came out. They asked secular people what they thought about Christians in three words kept coming up. Hypocritical, judgmental, condemning. I'm like, man, that's what we're known for? That's what Jesus died for? That's the rhythm of grace for us to become hypocritical, judgmental, and condemning. We're more known for what we don't do, for the things that we actually do. We got work to do. We need the grace of God in us so we can go forward and actually do things that produces life. See, you have to understand this. Here's why we don't have to spend so much time talking about sin. You know why? Because if you're in grace, that's not your concern anymore. Like, I hear messages after messages just reminding people of what we used to be. It's like, man, I don't need another reminder of what I used to be. Tell me what I'm supposed to be and what I'm meant to be. Prophesy. It's like the Captain Obvious guy. You know we got a problem. Yeah, I know that. But where's the solution? Paul even tells this to, to another church in Rome. He says, look, you're, you got the wrong focus. Because some people have what we call a cheap grace understanding. Which is like, you know, yeah, you know, God forgives anyways. So I'm going to do whatever I want to do. And, you know, if, I'm going to ask for forgiveness anyways. It's like, you're an idiot. And truth be told, you will never experience grace. Because if you truly experience grace, you would have a distaste for sin. Like, you wouldn't even want to clo be close to it. And the moment you sin, you can't wait to repent because His goodness leads you to repentance. And you want to live free from sin. You don't want to become a slave to sin. You don't make excuses for your sin. The grace of God puts a bad taste in your mouth for sin. I believe when a true believer sins, I'm talking about true believers. Just because you showed up doesn't mean you're a true believer. I just want to be real. When a true believer sins, it breaks his, their hearts. And they can't wait to run to the Father and says, my bad. I missed it. I went to the wrong yoke. The Bible is so clear on this. It says, listen, if you truly have experienced the grace of God, you go back to sin, it's like a dog returning to his vomit. Get that picture at 11 o'clock in the morning. 
Why would you? It makes no sense. Like you, here's what scares me. I hear some believers talk about sin like sin is greater than grace. We talk about our struggles more we talk about our Savior. We talk about all the things that are going right as opposed to all the things that have gone right because of what he's done for us. The way some of us talk, Jesus is not Lord, sin is. Because I, I guarantee you, if sin and grace got into a UFC fight, grace would beat the crap out of sin any day of the week. It wouldn't even be a match. It would put him into submission. Problem is, we're not letting him put us into submission. Look what he says to the Romans. Watch this. He goes, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Like some people are like, oh, you know, if grace got good, then, you know, he's like, Yo, you're an idiot. By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Like if you know the horrible consequence of sin, why would you stay there? If you know that your Savior died with his blood to pay for your sins, why would you gloss over that? That's dumb. By the way, that means you've never been invaded by grace. You've known religion, but if you knew grace, you'd be running away from sin. Matter of fact, you don't even have a desire to sin because you're too focused on loving God. <laughs> That's so good. That's free. He goes on to say, watch this. Oh, don't you know that all of us were baptized into Christ? Jesus were baptized. We were, we, sorry, baptized into Christ. Jesus were baptized into his death. In other words, when you went to the water of baptism, don't you know you died to that old self? <laughs> what, <laughs> what do you think you were doing? A public bath? <laughs> you were dying. And every day you keep dying. So that the real you live. We were therefore buried dead. Dead people don't have a say. <laughs> buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. A new life. Love God. Do whatever you want. Because if you truly love God, you will do whatever you want. Next week, man, we, we're going to spell this out because you got to, it comes down to your fruits. Because next week we look at it, we're like, hey, I'm going to spell it out. Look, fruits of slavery, fruits of the spirit. I don't care what you say. Which one are you producing? Well, I love God. No. Here's your fruits. You know, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. Your paycheck but I work more. No, this is what paycheck says. Go take it up with HR. <laughs> That's what it says. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'm getting ahead of myself. But let me, let, me, let me get to the beauty at the heart of this. Paul says the only thing that matters, if you're grace-filled and you're being invaded by grace and you're living by grace, only thing that matters, watch this, the only thing that matters, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. That's it. 
Paul was like, don't you get it? All your religious duties, all your do's and don'ts means nothing if you're not expressing your faith through love. You know how much energy we're spending on things that don't matter? The person who has been invaded by grace lives here. This is what is, his or her heart is here. How can I express this grace of God through love? That's the motive, that's the driving force of a grace-filled person. How do I express grace freedom? How do I act out this amazing grace? Because you can't sing amazing grace, how sweet the song, to save a wretch like me, if you're still wretched. <laughs> no, amazing grace makes you feel like, man, I was wretched, but look. And because I was wretched, why, why the heck would I ever go back to that? It's learning. Here's the thing. If we're not doing this, okay, here's my concern with the church. And I mean the capital C, not just this one. Our concern is this. Just learning about grace and not activating grace. It's a slow regression into slavery. You start to focus on all the wrong things. Because you're not living the grace-filled life. This is where all the dumb religious theological arguments come from. We're too busy debating what we know and don't know as opposed to be doing what we should be doing. This is where all the discord, by the way, next week I'll spell it out, discord, division, sexual immorality, all of that because why? You're not focused here. You're not focused on expressing the grace of God through love. We must be about that action. And you know that you've been grace-filled because it compels you to action. You're motivated by grace to live a life of action through love. And if you're not doing that, then you're not in grace. Right now, there's a lot of focus on the end times. And rightly so, right? We've had a pandemic which is like biblical proportion worldwide for over two years. And now there's this war happening in, in, in Eastern Europe, which might lead to World War III. Selective hearing, I said might lead to World War III. <laughs> so we got all of this turmoil happening in the world. And so rightly so, we begin to think about, is this the end? Could Jesus be coming back? soon. And so what happens is we begin to now focus on end time prophecies. We want to know things like who is the antichrist? What is the mark of the beast? Right? We want to know all of these end time prophecies. And rightly so, there's nothing wrong with it. But what I find fascinating, what I find amazing is we have a tendency to focus on other things that we have no control over. In other words, let me ask you this question, because I, I had to wrestle with this when I was studying. Because I went back and reread Jesus' message on the end times, which I'll show with you in a second. Don't get ahead of me. But I went back and reread it. And, I, and the question that I came away with is this. Let's say today, you knew, without the shadow of a doubt, who is the Antichrist. Let's say you knew what the mark of the beast is. 
Let's say you had all of the prophecies aligned and you knew exactly when Jesus was coming back. The question that I have for all of us is, how different would your life be? And if you're not living that life that you think you should be living when you know those things, then what are you waiting for? But what's interesting is this. Jesus himself, Jesus himself, not some, not some YouTube theologian, said, no one knows the day nor the hour, not even me, the son, only the father knows. He says, I'm going to come. It's like a thief in the night. A thief never announced to you, hey, tonight, come into your house. So go ahead and get your alarm system, get your shotgun. I'm coming. What was the purpose of that? The purpose of that, if you go back and reread Jesus' prophecies about the end time, is that there are things that are completely out of your control, but there are things you can control in the meantime. But we have a tendency to focus on all the things we cannot control because it's easier to have some type of thing out there that I can't conjure up than to do something that I can do actionally with my actions. So I went back and reread it, and we, here's what I found, man. Jack me up. Watch this. In the middle of him saying, hey, there will be wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes and pestilence. He says this. In the middle of this, go, go back and reread it. Matthew 24. Watch this. He says, because of the increase of wickedness, which we're seeing, right? Things are jacked up. People are crazy. Wild and out. He says, because of the increase. Well, now watch this. Because it's the little things that we miss. The love of most will grow cold. What is the most important thing? Faith expressed through love. He says, the love of many will be one of the symbols of the end times. Instead of worrying about who the Antichrist is, I need to be concerned with, is my love growing cold? Watch this. But the one who, what is this? Who told us that? Paul told us the same thing. Stand firm. Don't let your love grow cold. And he keeps going. Watch this. No, no, no. What are you doing? <laughs> We're not done with this yet. Stands firm to the end. We'll be saved. Not the one who knows who the Antichrist is. Not the one who knows what the mark of the beast is. The one who stands firm in the grace and the power of God. Who doesn't retreat from it. Who continues to believe in it and live it. Will be saved. And he keeps going. Watch this. And this gospel. This good news that Paul is fighting for. To keep us free. The same good news. He says of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come in other words if the church is not being true to the gospel Jesus ain't coming back so in other words you can create graphs and charts and your doomsday prepping all of that Jesus is like you're just delaying the process you need to go out there and bring the gospel, the good news of salvation to the world in the middle of the mess, in the middle of tragedy, and tell them there is hope, there's healing, there's restoration. Yes, he's coming back, and when he comes back, he needs to find me, not grow cold. That should be the focus of the believer. He says, when I come back, will I find faith? It's my prayer. I hope when he comes back, he finds us being about that action. 
Not arguing about what we should be doing. Not debating who's more theologically correct. I, I, I was thinking about this. Listen, I'm 43 now. I've been saying I'm pushing 40. My wife's like, no, you're 43. Just, <laughs> just own it. Like, I, I want my energy to be on faith expressed through love. Because my energy is very limited nowadays. So when people come and they want to argue theology and who's more right, who's more woke, that's another question that I have. If you knew for a shot, without a shadow of a doubt that I'm a false teacher, how does that change your life? Because I, I want him finding me doing what he called me to do so we can say, well done, my good and faithful servant. I want my energy to go into faith expressed in love. That's where I want to be. I want to, I want to camp there. Because he says, he said, well done, my good and faithful, not theologian, <laughs> servant, someone who is about that action. By the way, he says, well done, not well known. So here is where I'm at, man. Here's where I'm at. Like, if, if you're into this, to try to debate who's this, who's that, listen, you win. I want my energy to be over here, helping, blessing, touching, healing, restoring, helping people. Because I want to hear well done. I pray and hope that there's a cul-de-sac in heaven where we can all hear well done, New Life South Coast. You did what I called you to do. You, you were about my father's business. Because that's the only thing that matters. The brother of Jesus, the half-brother of Jesus, James, he's got a great practical book. You should check it out. James, James, towards the end of the Bible, next to Revelation, on purpose. (laughs) James is all about that action. James is like, all right, you got faith, but where's your works? Because your faith without works is dead religion. A lot of people know a lot of things. But how many people are about that action who are actually doing it? Notice, Jesus didn't say, I love you guys. I hope it goes well with you. He says, I love you incarnationally. I'm about that action too. I'm coming down to be part of you, to touch things, to be part of the whole thing. Not to, from out here, telling you what's wrong. That's my concern with a lot of YouTube preachers. Behind a screen telling you everything that's wrong with the world. But it's like, are you out there doing this stuff? Are you about that action, boss? Because you can know a lot, but what you're doing, what you know. And no one really cares about what you know until they see how much you care. So I I think I'm going to come back and do something on the end times because there are some things that I don't hear preachers talk about. For example, he goes on in Matthew 25, he says, when when I come back, he says, I'm going to separate the sheep from the goats. Matt. (laughs) Jesus calls his people the sheep. It's not a compliment if you know sheep. But I'll take it. If he's my sheep, the Lord's my shepherd, I shall not want. You know this, you know. But here's what was fascinating about that. I haven't heard too many preachers preach on this. He says, I'm going to separate them this way. He said, when I was hungry, did you feed me? When I was naked, did you clothe me? When I was in prison, did you visit me? And they will say, when did we do all these things? He says, whatever you do to the least of these, you did it unto me. And 
And then he says, depart from me, I never knew you. That's heavy. He separates you, not based on your theology, but based on your action of your theology. We don't talk enough about that. He didn't say, hey, you come because you knew what the mark of the beast was. <laughs> you knew what the Antichrist was. The rest of you are... It's all about that action. And I love theology. But if theology doesn't lead to action, then it's dead religion. By the way, theology is the study of God. If you're studying God, it will lead you to action. <laughs> oh, it's so good. I preach to myself. I'm enjoying myself up here. <laughs> so let me, let me wrap this up. One of my favorite quotes when I got saved. It's not even a Bible verse. It's a simple quote that says, He who aims at nothing hits it every time. And that's what I see with religion. It's like, what are you aiming at? No wonder we're bored. No wonder we fight. No wonder we get caught up on the wrong questions with the end times because we're not hitting, we're not aiming at anything. And when you're not aiming at nothing, bullseye. You hit every time. Can I be practical with you? You want to avoid sin? Aim at something. You want to avoid being apathetic? Aim at something. You want to avoid arguments? Aim at something. You, you want to avoid dumb theological debates? Aim at something. Because the more you're aiming on loving God and people, the less time you have spending your energy on meaningless things. <laughs> Aim. Right. Hit something. Start somewhere and let the grace of God come through you. My friends, with no clear aim and direction, we lose our freedom. Comfort is your worst enemy. You accomplish nothing, but you know everything. <laughs> the most comfortable people know everything and they do nothing with what they know. That's my struggle. I'm a pastor, let me just have a confession to you. My, my concern with church is that we know too much, but we do too little. We, we love to grade things. We love to tell you what's, what's good and what's not, and what's a good Christian, what's a not Christian. But it's like, it's boring. If you're not about that action, do something because of what you received. Start somewhere. Pick something that you can't do and express that in love. That's the whole purpose. That's why I love how the people responded in Matthew 25. He said, they said, you know what they said? Jesus, when did we do these things? In other words, I want to be so consumed with grace that I'm doing it without even knowing that I'm doing it. <laughs> That's amazing. That's amazing. In other words, it's not performance. Look, I'm about to feed the poor. Hashtag blessed. I think there's going to be more religious people in hell than irreligious people in heaven. He said on that day, we're going to be surprised. The first will be last, the last will be first. People that you never heard of, 
are going to get crowns from Jesus. You're going to hear people from all over the world. He's going to say, look, well done. 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 Because you worry about that action. You worry about my father's business. Pick something. Aim at something. Here's some practical things, worship team, that we try to do here just to, so we don't become bored with religion and just going through the motions. It's some practical things we do here. Go ahead. This is my last point. Look, serve on a ministry team. It's the least you can do is put your hands to the plow and say, look, I'm going to be part of the solution. Too many people can tell you what the problem is. Anytime someone starts a conversation with, you know what's wrong with the church? I'm already shut down. I can't hear anything. All I heard was womp, 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 womp. Because it's like, I know what's wrong with the church. I mean, we're trying to be part of the solution. Not point out what the problem is. So why don't you join us and let's get going. Let's work and make this thing better. Serve the city projects. My friends, we don't do serve the city projects because it's charity. We do them because it's Christianity. Like, if you can show up to a Bible study, but you don't show up to serve the city project... There's a gap between what you know and what you're doing. You ain't about that action yet. Some people love the idea of love. By the way, the word love there, nothing to do with feelings. Everything to do with action. In other words, I don't have to feel God to serve God. We don't have a food pantry back here because it's cute. We have it because it's a necessity and people need it. So when you join a crew, you have a service city project and when you don't show up, you reveal your true colors. It just says, oh, you know, oh, okay. I guess you're not about that action then. One-on-one mentoring. I, 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 I'll go with the grave with this. One of the greatest revelations that you really understand the grace of God is when you take other people by the hand and says, let me show you how to live in the grace of God. If I'm busy doing that, I don't have time to be looking at things that I'm not doing. If I'm busy investing in others, guess what? I don't have time to be condemning, judging, and being a hypocrite because when I'm invested in others, it puts responsibility on me. It's one of the greatest things you can do, man. If you ever hear someone say, I left a church because I'm not being fed, all you heard was, I'm two years old, please feed me. Grown-ups, don't talk like that. (laughs) I don't know why we think that's okay. And I say, like, that's childish. When are you going to pick up the spoon and feed somebody? One of the best things that's happened in my family is the older ones helping to feed the younger ones. Praise the Lord for extra 30 minutes of sleep. You want to come to this church and help? Feed somebody. Feed somebody. We got people right now feeding your kids. I don't know if you know this. It's not babysitting me. They're feeding them. Another pastor confession. Can I do it? If I get two emails, one is from a theologian who, who, who found all the holes in my messages. The other one is from one of our kids' care who is asking me how to do this better. Who do you think I'm going to answer? <laughs> Whoever's investing in my kids. It's a no-brainer. 
The other guy, I hope he finds a perfect church. <laughs> now I'm going to get no emails. Praise the Lord. I solved the mystery today. I'm just... <laughs> My friends, put your passion into action. I believe God saves you and puts a passion in you. All of you have something to contribute. I believe every single human being has a purpose. Something you can do tangibly that says, I love Jesus. And if I'm doing that, I don't have time to be sinning. I don't have time to make excuses. I don't have time to focus on who's not doing what. I, I'm, I'm just focused on hearing him say, well done. That should be the focus of a believer. And I end with what John says to the church. Watch this. Little children, believers, dear ones, let us not love merely in theory, with word or with tongue, giving lip service to compassion but in action and in truth, in practice and in sincerity, because practical acts of love are more than words. Action. All about that action. Stand with me as we pray this morning. We're set free to be about that action. If we're not about that action, we're slowly regressing into slavery. I pray that the Holy Spirit quickens you and drives you to be about that action. Bow your heads with me and let's pray. Why do we bow our heads? Well, what, what is he saying to you? You have to internalize it and you have to take ownership of it. What you don't want to do is hear the word and do nothing about it. You want to be a hearer and a doer. You want to have good soil. So when Jesus yokes himself to you, you're going to produce much fruit, which we'll get into next week. So Father, I pray right now that your Holy Spirit is doing what only you can do. Only you can invade us with grace. Because we can't do this on our own. But Lord, when you set us free, we are free indeed. Yoke us to your grace. God, we want to learn the unforced rhythms of grace so we can live freely and lightly. God, let your grace be so real that it, it drives us to action. I'm so thankful that you didn't just say you love us, you showed us. For God so loved the world that you gave. You gave. That's action. You gave your one and only son. Whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus, let that be us. Loved by you. Filled with your love to go out there and fill this dark world with your grace. And I pray when you do come back, you find us doing what you called us to do. Because we want to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your king God let that be all of us and if you're here today you don't know if you're going to hear those words you got to surrender your life to Jesus you got to let him yoke you you got to let him lead you and it starts with you inviting him into your life from where you are even watching online you can just say Jesus I, I heard you today and I want to be yoked to your grace I pray that you come into my life and forgive me my sins I want to live in 
the fullness of your will. And if you pray that prayer today, I believe it's the beginning of a new journey. Outside of this room, there's a, we have a room called Next Steps, and you're going to see people with a sign that says, ask me about a free Bible. We'd love to connect with you. Or online, if you're watching, if you text this number, we would love to connect with you because it's a journey. It's not just a prayer. It's a journey. The prayer is just the introduction to the journey where God wants to lead us. And we're going to open up a time of prayer, and we're going to invite the Holy Spirit to invade us with His grace, invade us with His love, and empower us to be about that action. As we sing the song, the prayer team is going to come, and you're welcome to come and pray. We can dim the lights for prayer. We're going to just spend some time in the presence of God. Holy Spirit, you are welcome to come work in my life.